The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Okay, let's turn to what for generations of Irish people is possibly the biggest issue and story, the cost of having somewhere to live. So difficult to find somewhere that people can afford to buy, but it's not buying we're going to talk about now, it's renting, because renting can be more expensive than having a mortgage. But as well as having an affordability issue, we have a major availability issue. Now, you could say the two are linked. We have three people to talk about this. We're going to start with Ronan Lyons, economist at Trinity College Dublin and author of the Daft Report, which has some shocking figures for the first quarter of 2022 as released today. Tell us about how bad things have become, Ronan. Yeah, you mentioned both the affordability and availability, and, and they are indeed inextricably, inextricably linked. Uh, if you look first at the, the, the affordability, the level of open market rents um, uh, has risen. Again, that's not a surprise, but it's the pace at which the, the rents are rising. So, so open market rents are up about uh, 11.7% nationally between the first quarter of last year and the first quarter of this year. So that's another all-time high, but it's not just that rents are, are rising, it's the speed. So that 11.7% increase is one of the fastest on record going back to the start of the DAF report in 2006. And as you mentioned, it's driven by a lack of availability. So how many homes are there available to rent? Normally, um, well, there is no normal really in the Irish housing system, but even if you go back a couple of years, um, you, you typically expect to see between three and a half or maybe four and a half thousand homes on the uh, on, on the markets, and there are currently only 850 homes nationally. Um, and that's an unprecedented number going back almost 20 years in terms of the availability online. So, in, in on both measures, affordability and availability, this is um, uh, new new ground for the rental market, not in a good way. So, how do we deal with that problem, that crisis? Ultimately, well, I mean, there's two sets of responses. The first is that you try and make sure you protect sitting tenants. And, and, and those rent pressure zones, the rent controls have been in place for a number of years. And there's evidence, uh, including in the, this report, that they work in that if you're a sitting tenant, the increase you see in your rent is significantly smaller um, than the increase in the open market. Uh, but of course, they may work too well in that they may reduce mobility, um, they reduce the amount of supply uh, circulating in the existing stock, and they may also threaten new supply. And of course, that's the, the real solution um, is, is building new rental supply. And unfortunately, while there are about 35 to 40,000 rental homes in the pipeline, mostly in the greater Dublin area, a lot of those are stuck in legal challenges. Um, so while we have had a few hundred new rental homes coming on in Dublin in the last six months, and the take of those is, is pretty high. Um, uh, it, it may be some time before we get those tens of thousands of units that, um, that Dublin needs. And it's not just Dublin that needs them. And there are very few plans to build rental homes anywhere else in the country. OK, but why is there such a delay in providing them? Is this a question of uh, greedy investors, landowners waiting and waiting, keep driving the price up as far as possible? No, there's, there's, there's two elements here. The first element is viability. So if you're, for example, thinking about building a uh, a block of rental apartments in Athlone or in Kilkenny, it's simply not viable to do so at the moment. You won't get the money back, even though rents are uh, higher than they've ever been. Construction costs are, are too high. It's only, it only makes sense in, in Dublin and in, in parts of Cork um, to, to build new rental accommodation. But then when uh, someone goes to build it, typically there'll be a challenge and uh, we have become quite creative as a society 
ready in coming up with new ways of challenging um, the building of new homes. So uh, now we have judicial reviews that I think there's an estimate that there's about 10,000 directly affected and up to 100,000 homes potentially affected by the decisions in judicial reviews that are underway at the moment. So we have to sort out construction costs and we have to sort out. It's not about denying people the right to input into local development. We have to get the, the balance right. How are other countries able to do this in a much better way than, than Ireland is? How have we ended up in a situation where uh, if somebody wants to build homes that they have to jump through an awful lot of hoops um, and it's still uncertain as to whether they'll get the go-ahead to do so? Senator Rebecca Moynihan of the Labour Party, we we have a crisis, we have an enormous need and yet objection after objection after objection every time it seems anyone comes forward with proposals to build badly needed accommodation. I'm just looking at today's Irish Times for example and uh, there's plans to build in uh, the Terenure Kimmage area 208 units, six storey apartment scheme and there are objections from 75 different individuals and bodies, including a local Sinn Féin TD, Angus Osnodig. How are we going to solve this problem if we keep objecting to the building of new accommodation? Well, I, I think there's a difference between objecting outright and saying that this shouldn't be here and, you know, making suggestions. Like, for example, I finished off two observations today um, and, you know, one of the observations that I made was that the higher density um, block should be moved onto the water because and moved to for it to be south facing rather than moved into the middle of a development. So that there's ways around doing that. But I do agree that what we have done is rather than have a kind of planning process where people can feed in and make observations on planning grounds and the inspectors assess that and then attach some conditions to the development. What we've done is we've effectively put the planning system into the court system. Um, And that's not working for anybody. That's not working for people in local communities uh, who developments are gone beside. It's not working for future people who are going to be living in those developments. And I always try when I look at it being like, if I was living here, what would this development be like? Um, And it's not working for developers either. But and I completely agree with Ronan. I I think there's a tie-in. We, we can't deny supply, and supply is linked into affordability. But where you have market failure and, and you don't have viable um building that's going on, it, the state should step in and do that. And we we have developed a form of cost rental um in Ireland. There was 390 that were proposed to be delivered, but it's a very small amount over the next number of years. It's about 800 a year. We're looking at delivering from a state basis and we saw yesterday the launch of the Cree Conaghy Fund which is up to 2026 it's going to be nearly half a billion and that's effect- effectively going in which is a subsidy to developers it's not going to be tied into affordability and it's tied into home ownership rather than tied into renting so there's if you break down renting there's two things that need to happen i think we need to move to a more continental system where people have security of tenure in rental accommodation and um, i'm dealing this week with somebody who's been made homeless and um, has three children two of which are very severely disabled and as Ronan says, there's very little that's available and that's a very worrying situation um, for people. And we know that the majority of families who are entering homelessness, for example, are coming from the private rented sector. So on one side, we need to um, ensure security and certainty for people who are renting. And then the, on the second hand, we need to address affordability and affordability is addressed through supply. But rather than spending that half a billion on um, the making, you know, apartment blocks 
um, viable, you attach conditions to it. So you go in, you say, okay, well, we have, I think in Dublin it is, we have about 40,000 apartment permissions ready to go. And we say, well, why don't you make these cost rental apartments? Uh, you have the nominal profit that are involved in it and we will help make you make that viable if you make a cost rental. But what we're doing is we're not attaching conditions onto it. And then we're delivering very few cost rental homes from a state perspective as well. So the two things need to be fed into each other, but it's really, really worrying. And particularly like I think Groenland's report is interesting because you're looking up in the Northwest region, which is one of the more you know value for money places to rent, but rents are increasingly massively there. Uh, so you have up to 20% um, in places like Roscommon, Mayo, Galway, Sligo. Um, and there's a real problem, not just in Dublin of affordability now, but all over the country. You're listening, Carl Dieter from Irish Mortgage Brokers and as a landlord to all of this, what do you make of it? I just, you know, we heard rents are rising fastest on record, prices up over 15% in the last year, and somehow we're going to solve this by resisting an expansion of the housing supply. I mean, it really is quite remarkable. At the same time, we're being told rents are better than ever, and yet landlords are selling. Uh, in fact, most of the new landlords tend to be uh, more kind of institutional type landlords in terms of people entering the market, not the ones who are there. And that's just an example of many policy failures, such as price fixing of rents or, or, or the rent controls. I'm in a situation like that myself. I get a house and it's rented out and it covers the mortgage. It's about 1300 a month. If I rented the same house out today, it'd get 2600 a month. So I took the pain on the way down when the crash came, but I'm not allowed to participate in the recovery. And as a landlord, I'd be saying to myself, well, if the capital value is good, maybe I should just realize that and get out of this. And people don't think about that. They don't think about the fact that a lot of these things we discuss they have very real-world consequences, and people make decisions based on the back of it. Uh, you know, I'm starting to think that the actual solution to this in general is to give housing, give, tar give targets to areas. So say to everyone in Dublin 4, Dublin 3, you know, areas where you've always got this like, guaranteed resistance to housing, and say, here, this is the new deal. You've got a target for housing. Based on what you've got, based on existing planning permissions, we want to see 2,000 houses in your area. If you can't deliver that, if you stand in the way of it, your property tax goes up times four. If you hit that number, your property tax stays the same. Go beyond that number, you get a discount on your property tax. I actually think we need to start to incentivize, pe incentivize people to really get behind. That sounds like the, punishment rather than incentive. Well, look, there's, there's carrot and stick. The incentive bit is all the stuff, you know, Ron and, and Rebecca are talking about. I'm just saying, look, if we're going to pay the financial consequences of a shortage of housing supply, then the areas that feed into that the greatest should help to finance those consequences. And those consequences are very expensive consequences that come in emergency accommodation, that come with all sorts of other social fallout. Uh, Ronan Lines, what is the estimate for population growth in this country over the next 10, 20, 30 years and the amount of housing units and apartments that will be required to house all of those people? Well, that's a, that's a really good question, and it, it kind of um, it, it brings up to the tool that's, that's being developed called the, the HNDA, the Housing Need and Demand Assessment. Um, but it is sort of the opposite of what Carl described there. As it's currently constituted, it, it punishes local authorities that um, zone for too many homes, what, what are deemed too many homes. So bizarrely, when most bits of the state are looking to try and get more homes built, we have one key bit that's saying, but don't build too many now. 
Um, in terms of the numbers, um, that HND exercise put a number of 33,000 on average um, over the course of the 2020s. Now, I've, I've run the numbers myself, and I, I, I just can't get the numbers that low. Um, if you look at any reasonable set of parameters, not just around population growth, but also around um, household size, which is a key factor in determining housing demand, um, uh, but also obsolescence of our existing housing, the, the number is much more likely to be between 45 and 50,000 um, homes a year. And that's not just next three or five years, that's the next 20 to 30 years. Um, so we're, to put that in perspective, last year we built about 20,000 homes. This year the hope is to build about 25,000. And I'm saying the need is right around twice that. Um, so we are, we are way, way, way below um, in, in terms of, of meeting the need, not about market demand, but about underlying social need. Um, and, and that's clearly concerning. And it means that housing is not going to turn affordable anytime soon. Much and all, as, as obviously some people would like this to be a bubble and, and it would you know, they wake up in a couple of months and it'll be gone. Unfortunately, it's, it's not that kind of problem. Okay, Rebecca Moynihan, it strikes me listening to that that we have an enormous amount of building to be done and most of it is going to have to be in urban areas for environmental reasons, which then means to use the land available is more likely to be apartments, which means that people are not going to be able to afford to buy them and that we are going to be stuck with these uh, cuckoo funds, as Charlie Weston likes to call them, these institutional investors who will be prepared to take the long-term uh, investment in this. Is, is that the only way or is there a different way? Well, I think state intervention is part of the different right way and incentivising cost rental. Like we, we tend to, and investors tend to look at, um, I suppose, well, developers tend to look at, you know, the short term profit that they can, uh, that they can turn, and then investors tend to look at a kind of a thirty year pay back their loans. Whereas I think that we should be taking a much longer look. And so one of my big problems with build to rent is, and I'm not against build to rent as a tenure, is that we need it, it takes so much carbon to build them that we need to make sure that they're somewhat flexible um, for future generations and that will include things like you know proper storage space um, and that's where I think that they're really really lacking and um, you know they don't have to be huge but you know they they should be livable in and should have proper storage space and, and, and that but that's a separate argument about kind of standards and quality um, that are there so the national planning framework has that we have about 50 percent um we have 50% of housing that's built in areas of compact growth and apartments are definitely um, part of that and part of that equation. Uh, we had in the housing committee the other day uh, talking about people essentially down, downsizing and um, that an older generation who have their own home have paid off their mortgage um, but have huge expenses that come with like heating and cleaning and maintaining those big houses. And making apartments available to buy for people like that, you know, is something that's legitimate and something that the government should encourage. And so that's why I think that there's a worry that you have exclusively built to rent. And I suppose one of the reasons that people are very reluctant to rent and don't want to rent is the insecurity um, and affordability in rental accommodation in Ireland. I think it's different if you go to countries that have a long-term um, history and tradition of renting, where you do have affordability that's built in um, and you have security. Whereas in Ireland, you can be renting somewhere, you can invest, you can build up your home, but then the landlord can decide that they're selling and then you have to be out and you have to look for some somewhere else. So I think we need to make sure that people, if they are renting, over the long term that the security that's built into there and, and there are simple policy choices that you just increase security of tenure um, on, on that side of things. Uh, last word on this to you, Carl Dieter. Um, what role do you see for the state in construction and development and ownership of apartments and houses? 
the states the states so they can kind of do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, but is it the right thing? Will it actually help solve the crisis? Well, I guess part of that comes down to ideology. I mean, I look at the state and I say that's the same organization that gave us the financial black hole that is the children's hospital. Do you want to put them in charge of other things that are construction projects? That said, you know, why shouldn't they be? You look at other markets, other countries, and you see that in, in Austria, for instance, they've got you know a, a great model, the Vienna model. Everyone wants to replicate it, but they've had a hundred year head start, and the rents that they charge are you know twice what we charge here. Dublin City Council alone has tens of millions in arrears, really badly managed, great properties. You know it, everything is being done wrong, and that's why we can't reinvest in it. If you look at the uh, the, the other things that are being mentioned, those is greater protections. The good news is Ireland actually grew up as a nation on leases. We didn't have home ownership in this country, you know, up until about 100 years ago. It wasn't a, a thing in general. Um, and in fact, if you look at the, the, three, the three Fs that the people in the Land League fought and won in the, in the 1870s, you know, you had free sale, fair rent, fixity of tenure. If you sign a fixed year or a fixed term lease for 20 years today, you cannot be removed from that property for 20 years as long as you pay the rent. I mean, this is the thing. We already have everything we need. But people want to have, and I describe it as, as looking for marriage out of Tinder-style relationships. We want to be able to sign a lease for a year, but if it suits us, stay for 10. It, well, we actually, within that space, it would probably be far smarter to sign far longer leases. And we are, we're, we're actually transitioning to that. Now, you see it transitioning with the likes of approved housing bodies, with the likes of local authorities, and they're doing these long-term leases. But that actually lines the, the pockets of, of the investor classes and in that, in that respect, we're making some key errors. But a lot of the stuff we need to do, we actually have the capacity to do it. Like, and that's why the, the, the no silver bullet is, is sadly the reality. It's actually lots of things have okay. to happen. There's loads of further discussion points that we will be returning to. Not today. Thank you very much, Carl Dieter from Irish Mortgage Brokers coming in. Senator Rebecca Moynihan from the Labour Party was with us. And Ronan Lyons, economist at Trinity College and the author of that daft report, which has the details of this near 12% increase on an annual basis in rents in the first quarter of the year and less than 1,000 units available to rent, an affordability and availability crisis. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here.